to Play On, the official podcast of the Utah Shakespeare Festival. I'm Emily Reed. And I'm Cheyenne Gray. People love Shakespeare because there's a character for almost everyone. No matter who you are or where you're at, something in some Shakespeare play resonates with you. People call Shakespeare timeless because his works don't depict the humans of Elizabethan London or the humans of early modern Verona. His works reflect an immutable human nature in all its glory and mess. We would love to hear from you about your aha moment with Shakespeare. When was the time that the Bard changed your life? Let us know by emailing us at podcast at bard.org or leaving us a voicemail at 385-422-1898. Emily, what was your life-changing Shakespeare moment? I loved Shakespeare for a really long time. Um, I can credit my love of studying Shakespeare to my high school English teacher, Dr. Nala Byer. She was the best. Shout out. Um, <laughs> other than that, when I got to college, um, if you've listened to our previous episode uh, with Dr. Travis Kurtwright, I talk a lot about my experience with Shakespeare in college and that leading me to where I am today here at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. What about you, Cheyenne? My Shakespeare journey also started in high school. My sophomore year, we studied Othello in my English class, and that was the first time that I was like, oh, this guy, he's onto something. Um, but as far as a performance of Shakespeare that changed my life, I saw a production of Twelfth Night in Dublin in 2014 that was, at that time, the best play I'd ever seen of anything ever, and it really solidified my Shakespeare love. Did they all have Irish accents? They did, yeah. They were they were all oh. Irish. It was pretty cool. What? <laughs> so last episode, we talked a little bit about how the performance of Shakespeare informs the actor's life, how love in Shakespeare overflows into the performer, into the audience. And today, we are sitting down with T.J. Penrod and Kurt Toftland, who each use performance as a tool to deal with personal and social issues for men, women, and youth in alternative environments. So prisons, correctional facilities, and schools. I was super excited to talk to these two because this is my passion project. I am so happy that there are people out there using Shakespeare to be a force of good in the world, especially in these environments. Hi, Kurt. Hey, hi. Good, good. That's Kurt Toffland, founder of Shakespeare Behind Bars, a prison theater program. Hello. Hey, TJ, how you doing? Good, how you doing? I'm doing well. Good, pleasure to meet you. And that's TJ Penrod, a founding member of Off the Cuff Comedy Improvisation and a Juvenile Justice Program Facilitator. Kurt and TJ, thank you both so much for being here with us today. TJ, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, so just a little about what I do and all that kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm TJ. Um, I am one of the founding members of Off the Cuff Comedy Improvisation here in Cedar City. Um, I've been working with uh, youth since I was 19. Uh, I'm now 35, so I'll let you guys do the math. <laughs> Math's not my forte. Um, but uh, yeah, I've worked uh, in uh, like wilderness therapy programs. I've worked with uh, detention in the detention center. 
Uh, I've worked uh, now, uh, uh, re most recently I teach uh, history uh, in a residential treatment center program, or two of them, uh, working specifically with uh, a female population right now, female and transgender youth population, um, and uh, loving that, yeah, that's awesome, so. Uh, why did you get started? We'll start with you, TJ. Why did you get okay. started working with youth? And um, um, that <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so, uh, why I got started working with youth? Uh, honestly, uh, the one of my first uh, job when working with youth was uh, my first uh, summer. Uh, uh, I was down here at college at SUU, and um, I wanted to stay around for the summer. And I didn't want to work at McDonald's, so I saw a job that was offering uh, it, like a camp out uh, working with youth experience. And so I, I went for it and uh, kind of got into it that way. And that was when I worked, worked at Redcliffe Ascent. Uh, it's based out of Enterprise. Uh, and that's a wilderness therapy program. Um, and it was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had and one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had. Um, but that kind of set me on a path of uh, working uh, with uh, youth. Um, I hate to use the term troubled youth, but I guess that would be uh, kind of that uh, uh, direction that I took. Uh, then I worked for the state of Utah for about five years, and then, like I said, landed at Moon Ridge Academy, uh, where I worked up the ranks and was the assistant program director. And so that's, and why I wanted to do that is because I, uh, I don't know, like I really love working with uh with kids um i think like uh they'd have uh like again like we're talking about like troubled teens and stuff like that like i worked with uh, in the private sector and in the uh, state sector um and just uh working with kids and being able to give them uh, an opportunity to be heard and um and to give them opportunities to be kids <laughs> i guess it's like uh, uh, kind of why I got into it. Uh, really enjoyed it. And then, uh, I guess, uh, like I think my theater background is I, I, I'm a, I was a theater major at SUU. I got my degree in acting and directing um, and started applying what I was learning in like acting directing classes and especially like improvisation. That's kind of where my specialty lies. Um, and using those uh, tenets of improvisation uh, when I was working with youth and um, Realizing that it went really well with like some of the skills that the they were learning from their therapists and especially like uh, DBT and uh, dialectical behavioral uh, therapy and that kind of stuff like you know like in improv you have like tenets like yes and which goes along with like radical acceptance uh, ride the wave commit fully like <laughs> like these things that <laughs> yeah. kind of like were like rules of improv or tools of improv that just kind of like transferred really easily over to the uh, working with people and all that kind of stuff, so, yeah. Totally different environment than the wilderness thing. That sounds like Survivor. Yeah, it, it kind of was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and so, Kurt, when you started, uh, there were just a couple of programs doing similar things in the nation. You had mentioned, um, what was it, Books Behind Bars? Yeah, there, it was a literature-based program that was taking place in a prison outside of Louisville, Kentucky. It was run by a sociologist. Um, <clears throat> there, uh, 
there was also a program that I didn't know about till years later, and it was Jean Troustein's uh, program where she was working in a, a prison, a women's prison, um, and they were um, using Shakespeare as a jumping off point of storytelling. So she'd look at a Shakespeare play and then the women would uh, enter into the playwriting mode and and create uh, plays that were based on Shakespeare. She has a, a great book that's out that's called Shakespeare Behind Bars. And uh, I met her a number of years after I started uh, uh, because uh, those of us that are prison arts practitioners uh, we don't have a, a unifying organization that pulls us all together. Um, so we, it's, it was very difficult back then to find out <clears throat> who was doing what or if there was anything being done. Um, in fact, when I got the first national publicity, I thought, oh, great, now uh, it's out there and maybe uh, uh, other practitioners uh, using Shakespeare might contact me. And what I found out was, is that for the work that, that I do that began in the early 90s and officially kicked off in 1995 as an independent group called Shakespeare Behind Bars, we're really the grandmother of, of programs now that have uh, populated the, the states and, and really around the world. You said there, there wasn't really a unified organization or a channel of communication that existed between um, prison arts practitioner, but what about now? Yeah, uh, I, I had a dream for quite a number of years about uh, having a conference that would pull us all together. I'm a founding member of the Shakespeare Theater Association, used to be called of America. Also, uh, uh, Fred and Scott from Utah Shakes were there. There are about 25 of us that gathered in a room at the Folger in Washington, D.C. and formed this organization now that's uh, uh, really worldwide and uh, we dropped the America part of it. So it's Shakespeare Theater Association. So I had a dream of doing that same thing with prison arts practitioners. Uh, most prison arts practitioners are really one person bands. Um, they're, they're not really connected to a large institution. Now, institutions are starting to, to do that work. But I remember when I brought uh, the uh, uh, idea to a Staw festival um, uh, and, and shared what I was doing in prison. It was all new to most of the people there. But then out of that, there was an impetus to start forming, like um, Marin Shakespeare was there and they went home and started a program. And they're, they're a large, uh, I would <laughs> call them a large institution since Shakespeare Behind Bars is a tiny little nonprofit um, that came out of Kentucky Shakespeare Festival when I was the artistic director there. Um, so it was my dream to have a conference, and that dream finally came into fruition when uh, uh, my friend Peter Holland uh, and Scott Jackson at Shakespeare at Notre Dame uh, uh, partnered to co-found the Shakespeare in Prison Conference, and we've had three of them now. Our fourth one's coming up in 2020, and we're already looking at our fifth one in 2022, and it has brought prison arts practitioners uh, together to share ideas and unify us and create an organization that uh, uh, is loosely based like STAW was in the early years, uh, volunteer-based, uh, but it has helped to connect us not only in this country but also around the world. So um, I'm curious from, from both of your perspectives, what is it about performance, whether that is Shakespeare or improv, um, 
that is effective when working with at-risk populations? Why, why performance? Maybe we can kind of find some common ground between the work that both of you do. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go first. Um, uh, I know that like, uh, when we started doing, uh, we started doing a volunteer program with the, uh, long-term center here in Cedar City and the long-term center is the uh, kids that are locked up for, uh, six to however long, uh, <laughs> uh, could be a very long time. Uh, and we started working with, uh, working with those kids. And uh, like I said, we just started going in and volunteering and uh, teaching the skills of improv and all that kind of stuff. And then pretty soon their therapists and their uh, clinicians would start being like, hey, can we, we want you guys to come in um, <laughs> uh, before we do this session. Because <laughs> they were noticing that they were like uh, opening up more after our uh, uh, activities and stuff that we'd do with them. And I think a lot of that is just that like, you know, we'd go in and, a, like, you know, improv and I think like uh, theater in general and, and Shakespeare, like it offers an opportunity for them to uh, to play um, and to kind of uh, exist outside of that uh, world that is so structured and, and formed for them. Um, and so uh, that's why I think like, again, like what I've seen is just the uh, uh, you know, we've been told numerous times, like we were told, you know, we weren't going to get <laughs> very much uh, interaction with these kids. And then it started to be one of their favorite activities that they would look forward to in the week. Um, and it was uh, something that was really fun to do. Um, and that's the experience that I've had with it. And so, yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, I think you, you use the, the, the word that I always use, and that's the word play. Um, and I often use uh we are players doing plays in a playhouse. What's the common word? Play. Uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, uh, young people, uh, a lot of the population, and I've worked in juvenile facilities, co-ed, co-gender, um, and uh, uh, worked with young uh, prisoners, 18 to 21, in, in the bigger prisons because um, they've aged out. Uh, the reality is, is that they, a good number of them grow up in very, very traumatic uh, situations, uh, poverty, um, violence, racism. Um, these are society's ills uh, that create the feeder population that's going to end up uh, getting into trouble and, and uh, uh, going to prison. So uh, when you grow up in that kind of trauma and you start to unpack that, what you find is that there was no safe haven. And when there's no safe haven, then there's, there's nothing to grab onto. Um, uh, children have to have uh, a, a trust in safety. They have to have someone that is in protection of them. And uh, a lot of times that doesn't happen and they witness violence, they witness addiction, uh, they witness uh, uh, destructive, destroyed families. So they don't know how to play. Um, and if you don't know how to play, well, man, that affects almost everything because play is all how early learning takes place before language is there, play is there. And uh, so what? why the arts work 
with that population is that they work really with every population. Um, uh, it, it's just that uh, that we have a heart that takes us to those that are less fortunate than than we are, um, and it's the the outsiders. Those are the those are the kinds of um, uh, populations that I like to work with. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a natural born caregiver. And so my heart would always go out to the outsiders. And that's why I like Shakespeare. Shakespeare writes about outsiders. Um, and, uh, when you, uh, really go in to start working with a population, they see that you have passion for what it is that you do. They see that you're, that, that, that you're there because you choose to be there. Um, and so, uh, you begin to engage them in play and it's fun and uh, they, and it's safe. That's, I think, the key issue is we create circles of trust, circles of safety. And so play just very naturally falls in there. I happen to put into the center of my circle of trust, art, theater, collected works of William Shakespeare, and then original writing. Those are my passions. Um, but there's plenty of other prison arts practitioners that are doing writing projects, that are doing art, visual art projects, that are doing music projects, dance projects. Um, so it's not just... Uh, uniquely theater, it's all the art forms. And all the art forms work uh, in those kinds of settings uh, because it is about uh, uh, trust and passion and playfulness. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that you hit on something, uh, Kurt, that, I mean, uh, that that trauma piece that is, is really starting to make its way, especially like in the, I mean, I, you know, I'm not as familiar with like uh, the adult populations, but like in the youth populations, there's really starting to be this push for like uh, trauma-based care um, where we take that trauma into account. And that I do think that like theater kind of plays into those uh, uh, those trauma, uh, what are they, the, the, <laughs> the basis of that, right? Like Shakespeare has, like you talked about the outsider, and those basic stories that Shakespeare does so well, and like uh, improv, like is really great for creating those trust barriers, and, and or like uh, creating that trust and breaking down those barriers that are that are there for a lot of these kids that don't have uh, a lot of stability uh, in you know their lives outside of <laughs> of the facility they're in or or anything like that. And I think that you know I, th I think it offers that. Again, I agree with you, Kurt. I think that that stability, that trust is huge. Yeah, the, rea the reality is, is that all human beings suffer from trauma and shame. Uh, it's just that uh, many incarcerated people, uh, and, and I'm including juveniles in this, is they, they have deep, deep trauma and shame for which they have no language. Um, and trauma and shame without voice can cause immeasurable suffering. And that suffering has, can lead to addictions, uh, in which they try to manage it or make it go away. That can lead to mental illness. That can lead to violence. It can lead to death. Uh, and and it, within the circle of trust, every member becomes an artist who finds expression in Shakespeare. And the reason that I use Shakespeare is that he has language for trauma. Um, and, and so uh, uh, I can find a character that has had a similar trauma to a participant. And so as that participant begins to uh, unpack that language and unpack that character and and begins to understand and speak the truth of that character, uh, a beautiful thing happens because they uh, learn to analyze their own life. And then when you're sitting in a circle of trust and you're working on a piece and people are, are talking about uh, the trauma, 
uh, and all of a sudden it becomes talking about the trauma in their own language, and that encourages other people to find language for it. Trauma is not going to heal unless you can find language for it. You have to be able to find a way to express it. And the arts are all about expression. So uh, that expression can come out in, in an art form, which then uh, allows it to ameliorate somewhat through the aesthetic. And you can explore it and, and, and find out uh, uh, where it is and, and how it's affected you and your behavior. And it's a beautiful thing that happens. I'm an artist that does work that's therapeutic. I'm not a therapist that does work that's artistic. And I never forget the difference of that. So you do full productions of Shakespeare plays in prisons with adults. Um, and you were talking about how, um, how the men can sometimes see themselves in the characters. Do you ever choose your plays based on who you have and who you think would need that character, I guess? Yeah, in Kentucky, that, that's the model that, that I started with in Kentucky 24 years ago. It's still going on. And that was uh, uh, to create a, a, a professional-like company in prison. I had a desire, really, when I started as a laboratory, it was a place where I could go take a play and explore that play with a group of men. It was never oriented towards performance. That really came from the prisoners themselves. Uh, could we share this with our, our, our roommates? Could we share this with our families? Could we share this with a bigger audience? So that was always at their request. I was interested in having a rep company like Shakespeare had, a group of of of, of it was just men then, but a group of males to uh, dig into and explore uh, a play and then move to the next play and and uh, um, uh, to to work with that group and they would get better and I would get better and we would just keep digging into it. So that model still exists in Kentucky. They explore a play for a year and then they perform it for the yard. They do yard performances. They do performance for their family members. Uh, who are on their visiting list, and they do performance for an invited public, and then they start all over again. So right now they're working on King Lear, which will perform in uh, May. Uh, uh, I think it's May. No, uh, I'm well. Edit that out because I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm having a senior moment. Uh, it's 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 the second week. Now you can edit this in. They're performing the second week of uh, May, and then they'll start all over. Now, how we pick the play, sometimes I would pick the play. Sometimes the prisoners would work on a play. Sometimes we divide up into four groups and each study a play and come and present the play and why we should do it. Um, uh, I never really uh, chose a play because I had uh, you know, actors that could do it meaning I was never interested in casting uh, actors uh, in, that, in, in big roles. I wanted to move it around. I wanted to share. So we've had guys that just joined the circle that end up doing lead roles. Um, uh, it was never about the, 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 the drive for the profession. We could actually work on a play and perform it for us and share that passion that we had and discovered in the play with an audience. And we're not selling tickets. So we're not driven by commercialism in, in any way, shape, or form. Now, what I do in Michigan is uh, a bit different. Uh, we're working on the first act of Hamlet. Um, we've done a couple of contemporary plays, uh, uh, but the, the needs of each circle are different. 
and the needs of the circle in Michigan were was about developing leaders because I kept hearing from the guys, I want to go home and I want to take my neighborhood back. And I thought, oh, wow, you're going to have to have some skills, some leadership skills to build consensus, to build alliances. You're going to have to uh, be able to talk in a in, in a uh, uh, in a deeply uh, passionate and and intellectual way. So we need to work on your vocabulary. We need to work on your comfort level and all of that. So it was really uh, 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 listening to the circle and then bringing to the circle what it is that it wanted to work on. And TJ, beyond the um, kind of therapeutic um, aspects that you talked about, about working with improv, have you noticed that kind of skill building with your students? Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Like, uh, uh, I mean, improv uh, a lot like like there's there's more structure to it than a lot of people give it credit for, <laughs> um, and and a lot of that and, and kind of again kind of echoing off what Kurt was saying like we never when we went into and started uh, working in in the long term center here in Cedar City like our our goal is never to perform or anything like that it was it was mostly just to go in and first start playing games and then we start to see them pick up on that and then start to see like their interpersonal skills and develop like they'd start to develop those because you have to have those and some of the games that you play uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then being able to, um, you know, then use some of those skills to, like, start to name how they're feeling and, and all that kind of stuff. Because, um, like, some of the exercises are, like, you know, <laughs> you have to be able to try to guess what the person is <laughs> uh, trying to convey uh, um, and being able to uh, read somebody and all that kind of stuff. And so... Um, uh, seeing them start to develop these skills as we uh, introduce like these concepts, the improv concepts, uh, was uh, pretty awesome to start to see like that to, to work out uh, with them. Um, so yeah. One thing I've noticed about working with youth and teenagers especially, um, and it's a little bit different because the teenagers I were working with aren't in a secure facility obviously, which is why I'm asking this question, because even the teens that I worked with, I had a really tough time building a circle of trust with them. They just seem more, I don't know, inclined to not trust adults <laughs> than, than younger children or, or um, young adults, I guess. Teenagers, I guess, uh, eighth grade through 10th grade are kind of the worst. No, they're the best, but they're kind of the worst. Uh, so building trust was a, and it differed for each teen. It would happen in different ways, but sometimes I would find myself studying football statistics just so the boys would respect me, you know? Yeah. So my question to both of you is going into these different facilities, when you start off, how do you build that circle of trust? Well, I, I, the Beatles are right. All you need is love. Um, and that's the way I go into uh, any facility is I go in with an open heart and an open mind, conditional love, non-judgmental love. And uh, it is true that teenagers are the toughest group. I, I, I have a lot easier time working in adult male prisons, particularly once they're over 30, because around 30, the last part that we know of of the decision making of the brain matures. So our goal is always to get them over 30 because then they do think differently. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I learned everything I needed to know 
to work in prisons by teaching Shakespeare to middle school students. Um, that was my uh, 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 baptism by fire. Um, and uh, so when you work with middle school students, um, you have to be prepared that today's success is going to be tomorrow's failure. Um, you just have to fail differently and you have to fail bigger. What always is there is the fact that you love them. Um, I have never had a problem ever in any circle that I've ever gone into to start. I've never had a problem. And, and that is because I love to be with them. I want to be with them. I'm there for them. I'm not judging them. I'm there to hear their stories. I'm, 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 I'm here to, to help them uh, uh, with trust issues. And when you unpack where the, where they came from and the experiences that they had as young children, um, I wouldn't trust anybody either. Um, so uh, uh, it, it, for me, it's always I'm there with a totally open heart and, and ready to uh, listen, ready to play with them, ready to share with them. Um, and, 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 and the other thing is show up, show up. So many people in their lives have not shown up so many broken promises, so, so much hurt. And that's where distrust comes. So you have to work, I have to work really hard to overcome that. But I have patience and they come to uh, uh, the, uh, the trust uh, at their own pace. Sometimes it takes eight months, nine months, 10 months, right? But the thing is, I'm always showing up. I'm always exactly who I am on the inside is reflected on my outside. I'm authentic. I have integrity. Uh, and the bottom line is they're my favorite people to be with. So I'm, I'm always, I'm joyful. Even when I'm failing, I'm joyful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with that too. The, uh, the idea of like being there for them uh, and, and really, you know, you've got to enjoy it. Like you can't like uh, when you're working with uh, these troubled individuals, like you can't walk in there and be like, I'm doing this for like a for a paycheck. Like like we kind of had that was nice because we were volunteers and like we were coming in. But that that showing up on a consistent basis and being there, you know, at first it was difficult. You know, like again, like when we were when we were asked to go in or when we proposed the idea and then got the approval to go in, I guess I should say, um, we were met with like a lot of staff that are going, well, that's, you're not going to get these kids to do it. Right. Um, they're not, they're, they're not going to, these are like hardcore gang members. You're not going to, you know, they've shot people. Like you're not going to be able to do that. And we're like, okay, like, cool. We're just going to go in. Like we, like the first day we went in, we played hacky sack with them. It wasn't even like anything to do with like theater. Right. Like, or, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, I do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we just start playing games with them. Like we just open it up with just, playing games and, and creating a place that was fun. And like we had kids that would sit out when we did not want to participate. And it wasn't about forcing uh, those kids to participate. It was about allowing them the opportunity to see what was happening, to hear from their peers, and then to get that buy-in uh, and, and them being like, oh, okay, well, wait, oh, well, so-and-so's, you know, he's doing it. Okay, maybe I'll join in. And then like they join in and we're all laughing and having fun and, and playing games. Uh, and then like, you know, once you, once we were able to build that relationship so that, you know, we, we showed up probably again, like for about two months of time where all we were doing is showing up once a week and playing games with them. 
and just kind of getting in and, and letting them know that, like, this is going to be safe, this is going to be fun, what to expect. And then we start to come in and introduce some of the concepts. Today we're going to work on yes and advertising, or we're going to work on this, and then we're going to talk about it, and then allow them to have uh, feedback um, and not, like... Especially for us, like, it's really important not to, like, lead them in in a way, like, because, again, like, uh, I think, like, especially, like, teens, like, they can smell that, like, in, uh, (laughs) what is it? Inauthenticity. Inauthenticity, right? Like, you walk in and if you're not there to have fun or if, like, you're there to because, like, whatever, like, they're going to be able to identify, peg you instantly and be like, oh, cool. And, like, they'll call you out. We had a few people that did come in with us that weren't, like, a regular and all of a sudden they were like, Wait, I don't like this game. <laughs> you know, like you're like, oh, okay. You know, like, uh, so it's, but yeah, create again. Just going back to like creating a safe space for them to to play in is is important. I worked in a, in a in a a, a co-gender juvenile uh, corrections uh, area here in in Western Michigan, Ottawa County, and uh, I had two programs. One was in the detention center. And the other was in the special high school that they had created because many of them that get into trouble get kicked out of school and they can't come back. So uh, uh, Ottawa County very wisely created uh, uh, two two different places. Uh, they, these are kids that are under the orders of a judge. So I was had a program in the detention center and then I had a program over at the, the high school. Uh, uh, that they, And so I would catch them like and they would say, Hey Kurt, uh, uh, I'm going to be in I'm going to be in D lockup next week, so I'll see you there. Or another would say, Hey Kurt, I'm 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 getting out in a week, and I'm going to go to the high school. I'll see you there. The whole thing is being able to catch them, catch them, catch them, catch them, be there, be presence. Their favorite game at the high school, because I had a bigger bigger uh, uh, room that we could work in, was tag, tag. They wanted to play tag every day when I said, well, okay, what's the game? Tag. We want to start with tag. And and to people on the outside, they would think, oh, man, how immature is that, you know, because the public sees through the eyes of, of where they came from. And that's not the point. The point is, is you can't see look through the eyes where you came from and expect to see the same thing. You have to find your way to look through their eyes. So I I work to look through their eyes. And I know full well that if I had the same experiences that they came from, I would be in the exact same spot as they were. That's the whole point of the work that I do is um, I, I, I was raised in a loving home with 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 parents that stayed together and and in a community that cared about each other and 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 had empathy and compassion and so I was raised in that environment I was very lucky I thought that's the way the world was and then you get out and start start experiencing things you discover no and the horrific stories that would come out of uh, uh, children uh, uh, out of childhood would just rock my world um, and 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 I see the goodness that's in them and I see the potential that's in them and I believe in them and I always would tell them even when they would get angry with me the tough cases would always you know push back push back push back and I knew they were pushing back just to test me and I would always say to them I love you no matter what I'm never gonna not love you and this would really get them 
I believe in you. Yeah. And I'm never going to stop believing in you. They say, F you, man. Don't believe in me, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because because they, they the, you know, in their world, they were they were uh, garbage. They were tossed away. Right. But I'm telling them I love them and there's nothing they can do that's going to that's going to change the fact that I love them and I believe in them and I will believe in them till the day I die. And 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 sometimes you have to use that mantra a lot. Uh, and sadly, I've worked with juveniles that um, end up in the big house, even though I, you know, and I would always say to them when I'd run into them in the big house, where did I fail? Where did I fail? Tell me what it is that I could have done that would have prevented you from doing what it is that you did that got you here. And and I never heard them ever say uh, that I, I was a failure. They said, no, you didn't fail. I failed. I failed. And so um, uh, and, and I, we, we had a program in a, in a uh, male juvenile facility in Louisville, and we did work there for over 20 years till they closed. Um, and the saddest thing is when they got released, uh, you'd open up the newspaper and you'd see their name. And it was either they were dead or they'd killed somebody and were going to prison. It's heartbreaking, but you can't save them all. Um, but you work hard to save the ones you can save. And that's all done by just loving and them and believing them and giving them the skills that they're going to need and giving them uh, the, the, the self-esteem that they're going to need to survive to, 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 and, and, and making sure that they understand that it's education. That's how you escape poverty, education education that doesn't have to be college education that can be education in a trade but you have to be able to uh, uh, prepare yourself to be able to uh, be in the world in a way that's going to give them freedom which is a job yeah, and my and my guiding my guiding principle when I'm working with youth is um, like you know really to separate the behavior from the person right like uh, and really try to go into like finding out like uncovering what all this behavior is because there's at at heart of all of it there's a, a want that they need to have a to accomplish and that want uh i've i've yet to find a want that uh one of these kids has that's not a genuinely good want right like if it's a want to be loved if it's a want to be supported if it's a want to be heard if it's a want to feel included like that like that is like usually the driving want of of these kids and and a lot of like even like working with them and and doing this work is to really kind of find out what that initial want is and and to help them see it uh in themselves and grant and 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 yeah like what, what you said kurt like you know unfortunately we can't save them all unfortunately you know they're uh, you know that it is sad. It's that sometimes you know <laughs> when you read the papers, you'll see kids that you worked with or uh, things like that, and stories that have been cut off too soon. And you know that's a an unfortunate byproduct. But you know, again, like just strive for that want with them and help them find that themselves is important. Yeah, what we really need is we really need better aftercare. Uh, we yeah. can take care of them when they're incarcerated, right? That's the safest place for them to be. Um, because they're fed, they're clothed, they're showered, they, you know, they're protected. 
um, uh, it's the aftercare. That's where we lose them. And that's true of juvenile population and it's true of adult population. We just don't do a very good job. It's why recidivism rates after five years are 87% for adult population, right? We, our correction system is a dismal failure. It doesn't work. Um, we know that the pockets of where it is working, like Shakespeare Behind Bars, we track uh, uh, over 24 years in Kentucky. Um, we have a 6% recidivism rate. Six guys out of 100 came back. None of them came back for violent crimes. Some of them were originally in for vi violent crimes. Most of them came back for economic crimes. They just couldn't get a job. They couldn't get a, make a living. Or, you know, there's, there's, there's also in any given situation, you're going to have mental illness, you're going to have addiction issues, and you're going to have criminality. Those are the three groups, and and you have to address each one uniquely and, and with specialization. And what do we do in the United States? We dump them all in the same place, just dump them there and don't have programs for them. And, and, and so it just, you know, when you get locked up in prison, you get a PhD in criminality. Yeah, the, and and you don't get the same opportunity that you do in, like, say, like a regular high school or anything like that. Like, again, like, the more that we can provide some an, an outlet, uh, something for them to be able to do, it, it it helps them to feel more. I don't know if "normal" is the right word because what is normal, but human. like it helps them mm -hmm. more human. Yeah, like it, you know, like again, finding the way for them to be able to express themselves, finding, like giving me these opportunities because, like, you know, you're talking to kids that, yeah, like when you you know like a you know sitting across from a kid and. You know, they're like, well, you know, I, I'm in here for selling drugs. And you go, well, gosh, like, you know, and they ask the question, you know, like, well, I could go get a job and support my mom and dad because um, that's what some of these kids are doing, right? You have a 14-year-old kid that's helping pay rent, you know, um, and, you know, they're like, well, I could go get a job where I make $7 an hour or I can, <laughs> you know, sell, sell drugs. Yeah. You tell me what to do. And you're kind of like stuck. Like, well, uh, you know, like, you know, there's these these issues that, again, like it's it it's hard because once you get a reputation of being bad, then that that stays with you. Once you get into the system, that stays with you. Um, it's it's a you know, that's a sentence, not just legally, but also, you know, Right. Nobody wants to be remembered Socially. by the worst thing they've ever done. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, TJ and Kurt, it's been wonderful talking to both of you. Um, so for anyone listening who is interested in this kind of work, um, I'd like to hear just how people might be able to get involved and what your recommendations would be. Well, you can go to uh, our website, which is shakespearebehindbars.org, O-R-G, um, and I've got plenty of uh, information there about our work. I also have a resource where I list other programs uh, around the country, around the world. Um, so there's there, and you'll also find some clearing houses there uh, that you can look at and see what's happening in your own backyard. I always say, look and see if anything's going on in your own backyard, um, and 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 you can get involved in in that. If you're going to do the work or really want to pursue the work. Uh, you can do it as an artist practitioner like I am, or you can go and get a degree in art therapy, drama therapy, music therapy, uh, and, and, and with those initials after your name, you can actually get a real job that gets paid and gets you benefits. Um, you know, I, I run a small nonprofit, and uh, if I don't raise the money to pay myself, I don't get paid, but I show up anyway. 
So there's also lots of opportunities to do internships too, um, to look and see and test and find out, do you, do you, are, you know, is this work you're really passionate about doing? Yeah. And again, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I guarantee in any community that you find yourself in, if this is something you want to find, there are opportunities to help out kids. There's opportunities to help out people, like contact. Like I mean, they might be even just looking for people to come in and read stories or to volunteer. Like um, you know, I, I've taught skateboarding uh, to some of the kids on the reservation here in Cedar City, and like you know, just finding opportunities. Like there's there's always opportunities. Because the big thing about it is, is that with some of these populations, there's there's not a lot of money that's being set aside for them to do these activities. So a lot of it is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of crazy excited that I've been able to be able to talk to Kurt because you're someone that I've like looked up to, <laughs> like, you know, like heard about the program you do, and it's something that's incredibly inspiring. And you know that there's there's opportunities out there to go and get involved if you want to do it. Um, volunteer at any of the local shelters, find a mentoring program, uh, you know, find ways to, to help out because, again, like, uh, very few places are going to uh, turn you away <laughs> if you want to come in and help out. Um, and, and from my experiences, everywhere I've gone, there's always been some population that needs that support and needs that help. Just so. watch out for traffic violations. They can stop you from going in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, a couple months ago, I actually got to fly out to the Bay Area and train with Marin Shakespeare Company um, and their prison uh, Shakespeare work. It was a weekend training, and it was incredibly insightful. And once you complete the training, you can volunteer with Marin in any of their, I think it's eight facilities now in California. Um and so there are opportunities out there. Uh, and if you're not ready or financially, mentally, emotionally to do that, then one thing I would suggest is educating yourself, reading. Um, Kurt mentioned the book Shakespeare Behind Bars. I just finished that last weekend, and it was incredible. And there's a lot of resources and other books uh, in the back of that book that you can be turned to. You can visit Kurt's website and see all the materials there. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot a lot to do. I can post a list online for everyone. Yeah, post some links. <laughs> One of the things that I do is I visit college campuses and I screen the Follow Math Films award-winning documentary about my work that was made and went to Sundance in 2005. And then it's been to 40 film festivals around the world and won 11 awards. I had nothing to do with it other than I'm in it. It's the brilliance of the filmmakers. Um, and so I'll screen the documentary and I'll do a talk back afterwards and then I'll do master classes and uh, visit classrooms. And I'm, I'm always heartened because they're in, in, I've been to, I think, 57, 58 colleges. And um, there's always that kid or those couple of students that'll hang around afterwards. Um, sometimes they're hanging around because they had trauma in their life. And, and, and they feel s safe with me, which I'm very honored that, that they would feel safe to be able to share their, their, their trauma. And, and, uh, and, and, and then they're interested, such big, generous hearts to say, and I, I want to help kids like me. I, I want to do this work. So um, that's, that's really where uh, hope lies. It's, it's in that next generation. Um, so, uh, and I'm here to tell you, there's some amazing, amazing young people out there that don't get a lot of fair shakes giving a, a, an initial to, to the, this is that generation and they don't do these things. Man, there's some beautiful, beautiful, they make me weep 
uh, at their generous hearts and their their want to help their fellow human being, um, and and uh, 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 being able to uh, have experiences. It's look in your backyard and find out what somebody's doing because there's amazing things happen that's that are, that are off the radar, um, and there's always a way to find a way to 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 care to give care, to nurture, to love uh, those that are less fortunate than, than, than we were uh, growing up. Well, thank you both so much for talking with us today. Um, this has been great, and we've, we've loved having you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks. Thank you. I'm really uh, uh, thankful to be able to talk to your audience, and thank you for uh, spreading the word. Absolutely. Nice to meet you, TJ. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you, too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On Podcast. Special thanks this week to TJ Penrod and Off The Cuff Comedy and Kurt Toftland in Shakespeare Behind Bars. We can talk for hours about Shakespeare for social justice, but we won't right now, don't worry. So if you're looking for more resources, I've got a list for you. Check it out in the show notes for this episode. Other resources, along with more information about Kurt and Shakespeare Behind Bars, can be found at shakespearebehindbars.org. And a documentary about the program is available on their website or on Amazon Prime. To see more of TJ, follow Off the Cuff on social media, at Off the Cuff OTC. And check out a show every Friday night at 10 p.m. right here in Cedar City. This podcast is a co-production of the Marketing and Education Departments of the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Thanks to Michael Barr and Tyler Morgan for all of their help. Our music is by Caitlin Limber, and you can find more episodes of this show on our website at bard.org slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>